John 16. Thanks to Terry for helping us deal with John 14 next week. And I'll give you a little warning. Um, here's what we can read for next Sunday, okay? Uh, if you'll go to Mark 11, Mark 11, we're talking about this life in the Spirit thing. And, um, and we, we want to take next week, because we won't be able to, to meet on Easter Sunday, we want to talk about Jesus' triumphal entry and what that means to your life and mine now. What all that, that kind of, what it meant to life in the Spirit now for you and me. So, Mark 11, if you'll read that for next week, we're going to John 16 right now. Now, um, what Matt has been dealing with in his series, what we're kind of dealing with now is paralleling in, in a, to, to a great degree. Matt's talking about growth and holiness. And uh, for those of us who grew up in kind of a holiness background, uh, it was hard to, it, it's hard to talk about, and we don't need to hardly ever talk about um, uh, the work of, of growth in righteousness in our lives without talking about the Holy Spirit. Because he's the one that kind of exacts that. He's the one that... that um, actuates that growth in our lives. So uh, I'm loving the fact that we're paralleling this in, in some way. And you've heard Matt talk a lot lately about, um, uh, in, in this series, about progress in your faith, about moving on. Now, if you're like me, um, maybe lately you've gone to some doctor's appointments, Troy, that you didn't like necessarily. Uh, there was a guy that um, goes to the doctor's office. He's got a Banana stuck in his ear, a cucumber in the other ear, and he's got a carrot stuck up his nose. And uh, the guy says, Doc, I just feel terrible. What's wrong with me? And the doctor says, well, we'll, we'll get to the root of that, but first of all, you're not eating right. I mean, um, <laughs> oh, silly. I went to the doctor, and... Um, he said, you got this problem and that problem and that problem. And I said, I want a second opinion. He said, okay, you're ugly too. But um, let's talk for a minute about what we're going to get into today. It was, if you'll put yourself in, in this kind of context of progress, if you'll put yourself in the last week of Jesus' earthly life, we're going to deal with Next week, we're going to kind of rewind the clock and deal with uh, what happened on Sunday of that last week of Jesus' earthly life. Today, we're going to deal a little bit with some of his teaching, as Terry did last week, uh, on the Thursday night before the cross, okay? They're gathered in the upper room, and he's got the 12 with them, with him, to celebrate the Passover. The heart of Judas Iscariot was exposed during that meal, and Jesus kind of dismisses him into the night. Uh, the 11 who remained, Jesus promised that the Father would send the Holy Spirit. That's what Terry dealt with last week. Um, they didn't, we're, gonna, we're not going to have to fend for themselves. So the promise was to send an advocate. Um, um, and it's repeated in the next chapter in John 15. He begins to tell them then, that they're going to face difficult times. This is kind of new teaching. We'll talk about that a little bit. That they're going to be even persecuted by their own people. Some of whom would even kill some of them. Thinking that they were offering a service to God while they were putting the disciples to death. If you read history, you kind of know that that happened. 
uh, with, with all of them except for one. Uh, to face those kind of challenges in Jesus' absence, the disciples are going to need to know that they had the reality of God's presence backing them up. Now, here's what I want to give you, offer you as uh, kind of a piece of comfort today for whatever you're going through. Whatever it is, if you're a child of God, He is with you. And how, how, the how on how He's with you, on His being with you, is the subject of what we're talking about today. The Holy Spirit's abiding, living presence in your life. Now, they didn't know anything about that. He's beginning to teach them about that right here on um, kind of what you and I celebrate as the first Maundy Thursday, uh, that Thursday before the cross. Now, let's read just a little bit. Um, um, can I get our friend back here to read chapter 16, verse 4, 5, 6, and 7, if you would. Somebody do me a favor. I, I feel completely exposed at this point. Um, I'm in a different car today, which didn't have my Bible in it. I meant to pick up one coming in the room, and I didn't. I promise you I've studied this, but I still need the Scripture in front of me. Would somebody... Uh, isn't there, aren't there some stack back here somewhere? Would somebody shag me? Thank you, Wayne. Somebody. Sorry. Oh, got one. If you'll bring one to... Bring one, you've got it memorized. I, I, I figured that. I figured that. <laughs> While Bob was reading, I realized, I don't have the scripture in front of me. Sorry, gang. This is how, what way too many miles and uh, not enough sleep will do to you. Okay, now, let's talk about that. There, one of the things I was thinking about is, is my particular Bible uses the word, uh, if you're reading from the NIV, it's, it, he begins here talking about... Um, in this chapter, in, in, in verse 4, he begins to talk about um, um, I'm looking, hold on. It's not using my normal. I've told you this. What does your Bible say for the word this? This? Uh, the, the, the one I was working from earlier this morning said these things. Anybody got that in there? Okay. These things. Now, what we got to do, whatever it says, is that what you had, Julie? Okay, these things. Now, what we've got to deal with here is what he's talking about, about this or these things. What, he, what that means is, okay, now, now go back to verse 4 and look at where, if your Bible says this, or if it says these things, what you need to kind of juxtapose in your mind, he's talking about the persecution that's to come from them. Okay? Uh, when he begins here, saying um, in verse 4, um, I have told you this. He was telling them about the persecution to come so that when the time comes, you'll remember. Okay, uh, One of the things I appreciate about Jesus, and you've heard me say this probably before, is he doesn't pull the wool over your eyes about what you're getting into. Uh, you know, if you were sold a bill of goods... Um, and I, looked, I was at the bookstore this week looking for a gift for a friend. And, uh, and I, I read 
You know the guy that's asking for $65 million for an airplane? He, he, he's got a book that has just a title that just makes me crazy. God wants you to be rich or something like that. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, well, Joe, how does that work out? You know, it sounds real good to you right now, doesn't it? Um, uh, and, and to me too. Because I'm not sure he ever said that. And I can't find that in the scriptures, okay? If you are, then great. Share with Joe and me. No, I'm, uh, there's nothing wrong with that, okay? But it's not that he promises that. It, it, isn't it interesting that to the 12 disciples and to you and me, he says, um, and we're not going to discuss John 16, today, but it's implied, in this world you will have trouble. He's honest. He's talked to them about their persecution. He's said to them, he's beginning to say to them, guys, okay, when I'm gone, you're going to go through some things that you're not going to like. Okay? That's the this here. Um, uh, now, why have they not, I, I had to kind of deal with this, why have they not been told this up to this point? Why have they not dealt with this a whole lot up to this point, or at least they didn't catch it? Uh, one commentator that I read this week uh, talked about uh, the reason he didn't have to warn them a whole lot about okay, now watch around the next corner because we're going to face persecution, is because he was the lightning rod for all that while he, his physical presence was here. Uh, and this is kind of unique, and I, I want you to think about it a little bit. While Jesus was walking and talking with them, anytime somebody was in trouble, it was mainly him. He, he was there, and he, he kind of sheltered them from a lot of that. He was, if you know, understand the term I'm using here is a lightning rod, which is not my term. It was in, in a commentator that I read this week. He was kind of the one who, who fielded all that criticism. He was the one who uh, then uh, the next day is going to field all of the punishment, right? Uh, and in fact, when they were trying to arrest him on several occasions, he slipped away and they weren't looking for the 11 of them. They were looking for Jesus, so... They kind of got away on their own. Now he's going to be absent from them uh, in, in his physical presence. So they're going to have to deal with kind of a new normal. Have you had, like I've had lately, a new normal you've had to deal with? You know what I mean by that? The doctor says the C word. You realize things aren't going to be quite the same as they have been for somebody in your family, for you. Um, maybe, um, maybe there's a, a, a heart situation like Troy's been dealing with. Uh, maybe it's the fact that somebody you dearly love is really failing. And you realize things are not going to ever be the same quite again. That's kind of what they're going to deal with here. And so it ought to bring comfort to me. I think it will. Um, up to now, Jesus' physical presence has kind of sheltered them from persecution. But he's saying in John 16, with, that we're reading here, that he's getting ready to go away. So he begins to chide them a little bit when he tells them this in verse 5 because they're not asking the where question they seem to be only interested in the why question, okay? Why are you going away? Not where are you going to, okay? Uh, 
Okay, follow me with this. Go back to chapter 13. Somebody read verse 36 and 37. Now, isn't it interesting? This is going to illustrate the point that I'm trying to make here. Peter is asking, he first asks where, but his real question comes out in the second verse that, that Cindy read. Why can't I go with you? Now, isn't it interesting? A lot of times Jesus is trying to teach us a where thing, and we're preoccupied with the why. That's kind of what was asking here. Even Peter's question was really kind of a why question. They really don't care about where he's going. They only kind of care about the fact that they're going to be left behind and alone. You ever felt that? You know, I don't really care where you're going. I just want you to know, I want to know why you're leaving me. Why can't I go with you, Peter says. I'll lay down my life if you'll let me go with you. And I, I really think he meant it here. Even though later on, he proved to be somewhat different. I think in this moment, he really just, Lord, wherever you're going, I just want to be with you. You ever had that feeling? Can I tell you something? In the worst day you will ever have, you're going to feel his presence more than because of the truth of John 16. I turned to a coworker this week and I said, I've got to tell you something. I, I don't know where this came from. You know, it was a flash of the Holy Spirit. I, I haven't told you this lately and I haven't told you this lately. Do you know I love him? And I love him more today than I've ever loved him. He's closer to me today. Even through, through some things that I don't like, Joe, some things that you don't like. He's, I'm closer to him. I feel him more. My receptors of knowing him, he is there are more attuned. You know? And guys, I'm telling you, I don't know that I would re rewind the clock. Because it's so precious. It's so good. Bob? And that's what's being promised here. This hadn't happened yet for them. But it has happened with us as believers. And that's what he's trying to get to. So look at, look at verse uh, 6. They don't seem to see beyond their pending loss, beyond losing his physical presence. Um, now, uh, the more uh, he tries to prepare them for his departure, the sadder they seem to get. Look at 14.28. Back to where Terry was last week and kind of in that area. Here's what he says. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Now, isn't it true that when you and I are facing a pending loss, we seem to be wrapped up in what I'm getting ready to lose more than what, well, let's talk about 
Rhonda's case in particular right now. More than what June is getting ready to gain. That's just kind of who we are. That's nothing to be embarrassed about or, or to be um, uh, convicted about necessarily. But right here, they're really already kind of pre-grieving. And, and by the way, by the next night, he'll be gone from their physical presence. But they're grieving that rather than understanding the joy of where he's going and for which they will soon follow. It's true of us, isn't it? We get caught up in the pending loss and forget the gain. That's kind of what he's teaching them about here. So Jesus counteracts their sorrow by promising the presence, the very presence of God himself. Let's review a bit. Let's go back again to chapter 14. I want to read a couple of verses. 14.26. Here's what he's already said, and he's reiterating in this chapter. Here's what he says. When the Counselor, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Now go back to verse 16, uh, 14, 16. Here's what he says. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Comforter, Counselor, Comforter, to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Annette, we talked about that orphan feeling today. I will not leave you as orphans, he says. I will come and be with you. He's promising here not a force. You know, Luke, may the force be with you. He's not promising a force. He's not promising some feeling. No, this is more personal. God himself, he says, when I go away, God himself, capital G, will be with you. In the person and work of this counselor, this comforter. And if your Bibles are correct, that's always going to be capitalized. Because it's a he, the Holy Spirit. His presence in your life. Now let's work, let's move on and work, work a little further, okay? Um, John, can I get you to read 8 through 11? All right, he's going to talk about the Spirit's work in your life when he, when he gives him, sends him to them. Here's what he's going to do in your life. Here's the work he's going to do. And this is true of you and me. Uh, Bob, you're absolutely crystal clear on this. This is what you and I have access to all the time. They haven't had access to him yet. But he's with us inside all the time in this increasingly, increasing personalization of God's activity in your life. He's going to be with you all the time. But, but he mentions here what uh, one writer calls two theaters of operation for the Holy Spirit. First is the one I just talked about. In the lives of ministry, the Holy Spirit will minister in the lives of you as a follower of his. So put the word followers right there. Okay? Ministry, the Holy Spirit will be at work in the lives of his followers. In the, he's going to minister there. All right? And then he's also going to have in a second 
kind of theater of operations, if you want to call it that. He's going to have a ministry or an activity or work, a crucial one, to the world. Okay? And what we're going to uncover for the rest of uh, uh, 9, 10, and 11 here is what the Holy Spirit's work is in the world. Um, and in verse 8, it kind of begins that thought uh, here. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt or sin in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. We'll, we'll talk about those things in just a minute. So there's a crucial ministry that he's going to play in the world. Um, uh, the New American Standard, if you're looking that, at that, I thought it was interesting the way it's, it kind of used, uh, spun this or interpreted this. He's going to prove, uh, the NIV here says, if I'm not wrong here, verse 8 says, he's going to convict the world of guilt. Okay? Uh, one translation I read said, he's going to prove the world of wrong. The uh, New American Standard says, he's going to convict. Um, now, what I think is interesting, I began to think about, okay, so what's the Holy Spirit going to do that, that hasn't already been done? And I, I began to think about the work that we talked about a few weeks ago of John the Baptist who came preaching a, 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 a message of repentance. And it convicted a lot of people around him. When Jesus came on the scene, he continues that, preaching, uh, prepare the kingdom of God is, is, is here. And he preached this kind of conviction of sin that caused people to repent and change their way. Uh, I think of his work with the woman at the well, John 4, and he didn't just say to her, go and keep doing exactly the stuff you're doing. He said, go and sin no more, right? So when the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus says here, he is going to continue to convict the world of sin. And the result here is repentance for those who will accept that message. Okay, now look at verse 9. If I'm reading this right, it sounds like the most pressing issue for the Spirit's activity in the world is, in, is addressing our sin problem. What does, um, what does verse, what does Romans 3.23 say about that? Those of you that know Romans 3.23, if you want to look it up. Thanks, Jopi. All have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. We have got, all of us, a universal sin problem. And the Holy Spirit's going to help us with that. In fact, he'll be the only one who can. Um, he's, he's going to bring up or deal with or expose the problem. And then it's our responsibility to allow him to help us deal with it. Now, um, you know, you and I both know that why the world doesn't get this answer, why they don't, why the world outside of Christ doesn't really receive the help they need, it's because they reject, many reject, many refuse to accept this message. And therefore, they still, those who are apart from Him still live in sin. Now, uh, the second area of need, verse 10, 
is, um, is the need for righteous conviction. Now, I think that's an interesting word here. Um, um, Matt has used it some in his series. Righteousness here um, is used only twice in John's gospel. It's used in this verse and in verse 8. So we kind of got to compare those things to get it. But, but the truth of it, or the kind of the definition of this word righteousness, is being absolutely in the right. But we got a problem in living righteously or, um, or living this righteous kind of life that, that God is calling us to. First of all, it's because we've been, we've been kind of steeped in sin for all of sin falls short of the glory of God, we said in Romans 3.23. Let's look at a couple other places. I'm going to hand out three verses really quickly. Somebody go to Luke 18.11. Thank you, Karen. Uh, let's go to Romans 10.3. Thank you, Jan. And then Isaiah 64.6. Thanks, Ruth. Okay, we're going to see. We got. There's a reason why our sin uh, isn't dealt with and 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 resulting in righteousness as as we allow the Holy Spirit to work work on us. There's, and I think it's hinted at it all over the Bible. Luke eighteen eleven. Okay. Jesus is telling a parable about a guy who's praying, but he's really not praying, right? What's his problem? Self-righteousness. Isn't that kind of the barrier to my sin problem being dealt with? Is when I won't admit. In fact, I'll say, Lord, thank you for not making me like Joe. That's what this guy said. Sorry, buddy, you're just too close by. You know, you're a target. Thank you for not making me like Joe. Okay, I don't do this, I don't do that. Our self-righteousness gets in the way. Let's look at another one. Romans 10, verse 3. There is a righteousness that comes from God, but I didn't look for that. I wanted my own. Now, okay, you can pick up any self-help book on the, on the shelf, and you can get several thousands of different views of what righteousness really is. Okay, all right? And none of them are going to fix the problem. This goes all the way back to Isaiah. Ruth, read Isaiah 64, 6. My righteous acts, apart from God, are like filthy rags. Wow. It doesn't sound like I can fix this myself. It doesn't sound like even as smart as some of you are, you can write a book that tells me how to deal with it. So it's kind of keep your money in your wallet. It sounds like the help is going to have to come from some other source. Here's the beauty of it. Jesus is promising that source right here. It's the spirit of righteousness, the spirit of truth. He's always going to tell you the truth. All right? The, the key here in verse 11 is the word or the world, this is kind of the third area he's dealing with about the Holy Spirit's work. The world also holds false views about judgment. The world's judgment is skewed. We, don't we like to define righteousness kind of on our own terms? 
I, I left you a couple of verses there. The world's judgment uh, is based on appearances often. You can read about that in 724. Um, um, we can recognize here that we're going to have to all face judgment uh, at death. Uh, I, I put, by the way, there, don't go looking for Hebrews 19.27, okay? Ain't there. That's 9.27. For it is appointed to man to die once, and after that to face judgment. We're all going to face that judgment, he says. Instead, what have we done? I want you to turn back just a couple of pages to 10.20. John 10.20. This didn't just happen when Jesus was walking the planet. It happens with us. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed, meaning Jesus, and raving mad. Why listen to Him? Isn't it interesting, in the face of the work of the judge of this world, Jesus Himself, our culture, and maybe you for a time, wanted instead to judge Him. The world holds false views about judgment. How many times, Ellie, the History Channel, gets it wrong about who Jesus was? Okay, a few times. This is an ongoing conversation that Ellie and I had. How many times does A&E get it wrong about who Jesus really is? But the Bible doesn't have it wrong. You see, we've got, our world has a false view about judgment. So, let's go on now to, to verse 12 and read to, the, to um, the end of 15 at least. Okay? Somebody read 12 down through 15. Let's see what the Spirit is going to say about all that. Somebody got it? I have Okay, he's telling them this, and at first, they're unable to grasp his words. How do we know that in context? Because later on, <coughs> they're still going to be really confused. He's unable to, it's just too much for them to take in. This is kind of true of you and me sometimes. But remember that this is them trying to understand it apart from the Holy Spirit at work in their hearts. That's not going to come till the day of Pentecost. So they're unable to grasp his words, and he kind of sees this. But he goes on and he says, the Spirit is going to teach you when he shows up. And the Spirit will be teaching the truth. I like the term here, all truth. He will teach you all truth. Is that in your Bible? Okay. Now when he says all truth, what you've got to understand about this is that, uh, you remember when your mom bought you a 19, well my mom did, bought me a 1962 version of the Encyclopedia Britannica? All right? It was in my room for 15 years or whatever. Okay? Guess what? Some of that truth is no longer truth. Let me give you the modern day equivalent. 
Wikipedia. Okay? It changes daily. You're right. Okay? Isn't it wonderful that you and I have a source that can give you all truth? Why? Because He knows all truth. That's this Spirit that's alive inside you. In fact, you can hear somebody say, I need, to give, I need you to give me $65 million so I can buy a new airplane. And you can say, Lord, tell me. Is that true? I think I know what his answer is going to be. Because he's going to tell you the truth. And he knows all the truth. And he's alive inside you. You can run anything through that lens. You can run it through this lens, certainly. And if you still don't have the answer, Lord, is this right or wrong in my life? You can ask the Holy Spirit and he'll say, let me tell you. Let me tell you. He will guide you into all truth, he says. He'll be teaching you all truth and he'll teach you the truth. That's a really, really good promise. Verse 14, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's gonna bring glory to the Son. Now, this is something, a little theological quirk that I want you to just catch really quick. When Jesus was on the planet walking the earth for these 33 years, and certainly the last three and a half of his public ministry, everything he did was about bringing glory to the Father. Everything he did was about bringing glory to the Father. Guess what Jesus is saying? He's not saying this in a haughty way, but everything that the Spirit does in your life will, will accordingly bring glory to the Son. His role in, in your life is to do in your life whatever it takes to bring glory to the Son of God. As the Spirit works inside you, that's His job. In fact, He says here, if you'll go back to verse 7 and just look at it real quickly, He says, I'm going to send Him to you. I'll send Him to you. And when He comes, He's going to bring glory to me. He's going to point to me. You kind of got to see this in your life. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you're reading the Scriptures this morning, uh, or you're being taught by somebody in, in the sanctuary or right here, the Holy Spirit is constantly pointing, pointing, pointing. You see that? That's Jesus. That's Jesus at work in you. That's Him. Listen to Him, He said. He's going to bring glory to the Son, like the Son brought the glory to the Father while He was walking the earth. And He's going to share, verse 15, He's going to share everything with you that, is already, that already belongs to the Son, which is kind of everything. Look at uh, 17.10. We're going to go over one chapter. 17.10, here's what He says. Jesus says, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine. Jesus is going to literally hand over this Spirit to them and say, I'm giving you the greatest treasure you'll ever receive. Because He is the Father's. And you belong to Him. Because the Spirit has made you His sons and daughters. I heard a story years ago. Um, I frankly don't know if this story is completely true or not. It is from uh, the life of, of tales of, and maybe some of them are kind of fables, but from, from the life of the first Queen Elizabeth of England. The story goes that she and her younger brother were um, 
visiting with their, with their father uh, and all the entourage in one of the country um, palaces, castles that, that the king owned. But they went on kind of a hike and decided to explore uh, the forest. By the way, uh, last Saturday, a week ago yesterday, I went with my two little girls into the forest in, uh, in Stevensville, Michigan. It was funny. They, they, they think very romantically about when they go into a bunch of trees. It's like, oh, we're in the forest. Well, kind of imagine that. This is this little girl, this young girl, and her younger brother, and they're kind of exploring the forest. But it, they got lost. And... Um, the, the little princess and the little prince get lost. And before they know it, it's starting to get dark and it begins to storm and now they're wet. And they're even more afraid than before. They finally come to a clearing. They still can't find their way out. They finally come to the clearing and they see a little cottage that's nestled in the woods. Now you can imagine kind of a Hansel and Gretel type story, but this one has a better outcome, okay? They see a little cottage in the forest and there's they see a smoke plume coming from the chimney and they knock on the door and an elderly woman greets them there and invites them inside. Um, she takes their clothing and places it by the hearth so it will dry and gets them, um, kind of dries them off. She has some soup that's cooking on the hearth and as they're kind of eating some of this uh, soup that, that is uh, bringing nourishment to them and helping them warm them up because they are so cold, and so wet. This woman starts to notice as she places their clothes on the hearth that the tapestries from which these kids' clothes are made are of the finest linen. They, she's never seen anything this nice. The, on their shoes are buckles that, are, that look like they're made out of sterling silver. And she begins to wonder, who in the world are these kids? And so she asks the older sibling, ask Elizabeth, Little girl, who are you anyway? Well, as she's eating her soup, then Princess Elizabeth says to the little lady, Oh, I'm nobody really. But my father's the king. Can I tell you about the Holy Spirit's work in your life? Every day, he's speaking in this ear, saying to you, you are somebody. You're a son or a daughter of the Lord God Almighty. And I am here to bear witness of that in your life and to help you live like a child of the King. Can I tell you something? You are somebody because your Father is the King. All right. We'll be in Mark 11 next week.